Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of friends who are a little bit ashamed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> Still NPRing it. Um, Adam, this show has, uh, has done a lot of embarrassing things to me, but I think the most embarrassing thing so far was I was showing my wife an article uh, on the New York Times app on my iPad, and she asked why a Biff Yeager a signed Biff Yeager trading card was being advertised in the little Amazon advertisement window <laughs> in the in the article page. <laughs> and I didn't have a very satisfying explanation. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Biff Yeager uh, plays Argyle. Uh, in a few of the episodes in season one. Biff Yeager, of course, friend of the show. Biff <laughs> Yeager, uh, best actor name of all time. I don't think there's any argument there. Yeah. Uh, Argyle, one of the best minor characters of the show. I think I think we're in agreement on that as well. Absolutely. I am shocked that there was a... I mean, I'm not shocked that there was a trading card set. I think you and I have talked about what a mistake those are to buy. Uh, at any age uh but i don't know you sent me uh you sent me a couple of ebay links which i think were probably the culprit for this becoming a thing that the internet algorithms think i'm interested in yeah a couple of uh, they had a complete set selling for like 1500 bucks or something (laughs) do you want to know how much a complete set of star trek cards was of the era when i when i told that story of when i was 10 years old and i went to the baseball card store and bought star trek cards instead a complete Uh, set of those is like eleven (laughs) dollars it was basically the worst investment i could have ever made (laughs) and now and now the cards are so cool and sophisticated that that they've got minor characters with autographs on them in these star trek card sets like yeah like the lady the lady from episode three who got into that fight to the death with tasha who had that that spiked poison bird glove? She's got a signed card, so it's not just like major bridge characters. Like they're really getting that uh, is a deep cut. Like an Edo has a signed card. The, the really la- the lady Edo with the perm. Yeah. Now, if you wanted an entire set of those autographed cards of minor characters, even that is like eight hundred dollars. That is, uh, you know, I I want to. I want to like dig through the crawl space at my parents' house and see if I have some pristine trading cards down there somewhere. So your wife sees a picture of Argyle on your iPad and she's like, "Who's that?" Like, <laughs> is, was she was she suspicious? Like, Argyle's no, a good-looking it, man. It says Star Trek trading card on there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it wasn't like it looked like a, a Tinder. Uh, image or something. <laughs> Swipe right. <laughs> this is season one, episode 19, Heart of Glory. Um, the Enterprise uh, is detecting some uh some set tripping in the neutral zone and uh so so they uh they 
they head in to uh to investigate and it's you know it's tense it's like uh it's like they 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 pop into warp they pop out they have to broadcast to starfleet that they're entering the neutral zone yeah it's our first Um, time here right yeah and uh i mean i guess the ship went to the neutral zone that time that data had to take command uh, while they were on, uh, oh right, pl- right, planet, planet Babelicious, but uh, and they're suspecting that the Ferengi might be involved, which is like, come on, guys, Enough. yeah, stop trying to work the fucking Ferengi and everything. Yeah, it's not working. Yeah, so uh, they they get into the neutral zone and they come upon a Talarian freighter that is all shot to shit and adrift in space, and um, this is some of my uh, my favorite so far, like alien spaceship cinematography yeah like, there's some great shots of this ship it's a cool looking ship it looks like a freighter like it's well designed for what it's supposed to be and uh and they beam aboard hey uh, uh hey ben yeah do you how sure are you that we're getting like we're watching the remastered versions of the show like, yeah and i agree the shots the exterior shots of the ships look amazing right now um are we getting just re-digitized ships or are they actually changing uh, shot compositions with with our exteriors? Because I I'm, don't with, think I'm with that you. They did. Things look awesome and yeah. it just seems unlikely they would look this awesome uh, in the late 80s. From what I understand, and this is very half-remembered and we are not trying to be the most journalistic Star Trek show on... Uh, on the podcast feed. So if, if you want that, you can go uh, listen to that fucking uh, mission log garbage. Yeah. If you're, if you're a rod head, go over so, there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, from what I understand, they did not George Lucas this too much. They, they tried to be very faithful to the original uh, and, you know, they're working from 35 millimeter mm-hmm. uh, film, film clips that they cleaned up and, and re in, in HD. So I'm pretty sure that this is basically just a higher resolution of what it was in mm. the original show. Mm. So they keep Yar on, uh, on the bridge of the enterprise. Cause they don't know if Romulans are going to show up anytime. Uh, this being close to their space because it's the neutral zone. Uh, in fact, I think even Picard goes like Romulans. We haven't heard from them in some time, which is like uh, I think like four episodes ago minimum. Yeah, yeah, I think we're aware. <laughs> yeah, but so Jordy, Data, and Riker beam over, and Jordy has a broadcast pack attached to his visor, so he's going to be FaceTiming the entire trip on the on the Talarian freighter and so they get over there and and they start broadcasting when Jordy's visor is getting to the main view screen on the bridge and it's like the craziest like 1980s electronica music video you've ever seen <laughs> like they, like as a as a filmmaker I'm just like okay so they did like a yeah, they like yeah. set the hue to modulate at a certain speed they did like a find edges effect and duplicated the the track and set that to multiply on the on the, on the original track and uh it's just it's it's just a real colorama situation 
Yeah, it really is. And what an interesting choice. You know, before the away team beams to the freighter, they all basically agree it's a trap. I think they actually say those words exactly. Uh, But what better time is there to just experiment with a piece of equipment (laughs) and... uh, and uh, and see what Jordy's seeing, you know? So they yeah. really take their sweet-ass time over there. Now I'm beginning to understand him. I, I liked uh, the sort of mystery of what Jordy's visual life is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure this, like, really nails what I had hoped it was in my imagination. But anyways, they uh, they poke around on this ship, and it's a really cool, like, busted-up ship interior. Like, real... real uh, bully job on the on the set design departments yeah i mean they you could tell they went to a hardware store they got a bunch of uh gutter downspouts <laughs> and uh and that silver clothes dryer ducting yeah that, uh, got a lot runs. of ducting yeah i mean that shit is everywhere it's great yeah it looks good there's lots of like mist everywhere and they're uh they explore and yeah at one i point, mean that's I mean, we need to talk a little bit more about this because, like, it sounds like I'm being flip about the interior of the ship, but I'm really not. Like, no, uh, it's great. The way it's shot is really cool too. They they play with light a lot. Like, they're they're backlighting uh, a bunch of the a bunch of the rooms that the characters walk into, so the effect is real spooky and uh, yeah, and ominous. And there's parts where like the the mist kind of blows out light, so you can't really see past point points because uh because of all the all the smoke in the air and it's shot uh, a little bit like a horror movie too where uh where characters are shading to the left or the right of frame before before revealing uh where they're going you know that abso- that little absolutely. horror film effect yeah and uh a genuinely tense scene and and what they come to find is a crew of three Klingons, one of whom is severely wounded. And, uh, as they find them, the, the reactor on the ship starts to go critical. There's a pretty tense moment where Yar runs down to the transporter room to try and beam them off the ship. And, uh, you sort of wonder if it was so important for her to be on the bridge before, why she's now in the transporter room when they have people who have the title transporter chief right on board the ship um but she is uh she is just barely able to get them off this ship before it goes ballistic well i mean we see the ship explode right and then a couple seconds later we're gonna expect like her to beam in a bunch of like wet red mist (laughs) under the transporter pad uh but luckily she's able to to capture them and bring them home yeah there's a there's an abortive attempt where she she runs the transporter and it quite can't quite get a lock so it was uh, it was real touch and go there yeah so one of the one of the dudes they bring back is there's three klingons in, in total that they find on this cargo ship and one of them's really badly hurt so they bring him uh to the doctor and uh and they just sort of the uh, the two the two healthy klingons start explaining what the hell they were doing over there and they say they were attacked by a Ferengi ship, and uh, and and the Klingon seeing that this cargo ship captain was just totally overmatched, they took over the cargo ship and used some of the cargo to uh, to fight them off. And so, the story they're describing is super far fetched. And when uh, when Picard presses him on on more details, uh, the the sort of leader of of the Klingons, what's what's the leader's name? 
Chorus. Chorus. Uh, when when Picard presses uh, the leader of that 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 group of Klingons, Chorus, about you know a little more details, he's like, oh, you know, I'm really tired and hungry. Uh, maybe maybe I should get something to eat first. Pretty classic. Can me, can me and my buddy go get our story straight, and yeah. then we'll come back and tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, would have been a great time to have one Deanna Troy in the room for that kind of interrogation. Yeah. Uh, Deanna Troy completely absent from the entire episode. Strange. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed watching this is, I think that there's another uh, another group of three Klingons that shows up in DS9. I'm not sure if they're in uh, Next Generation as well. Um, uh, Kang, Kodos, and Kor. And... Uh, this, these guys are Chorus, Conmel, and Kunivas. What's up with the three Ks? As what's up with KKK being the normal group of three Klingons? I don't know, Ben. I wish I could say I was surprised after episode three. But <laughs> how dare you? Yeah, David Duke wrote this episode. <laughs> Uncredited. He wasn't in the guild, so they they had to. Give him a pen name. Uh, uh, this is one of those episodes where, you know, in, in the first couple of scenes where they come back from the open, that the entire screen is filled with writing credits. It's usually a bad sign. Becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Mm. Not entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books. They send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. 
It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. As they're shown to their quarters, they they find out that there's another Klingon on board, Lieutenant Worf, who uh, introduces himself. And uh, so they they have a little they have a little bite to eat, a little bit of tea with Lieutenant Worf, and they're kind of they're kind of fucking with him. They're like, "Have they tamed you, or have you always been docile? Does it make you gentle? Has it filled your heart with peace?" And uh, he's he's uh, like, "Why?" Why are you trying to big dog me? Like I am just a chill dude trying to be a Klingon in a in a human world. They really play up the contrast between them. Like these these quote unquote real Klingons are like covered in metal and they have this this big nappy Andrew WK hair and <laughs> and Worf has got like his tight bob and uh and is like really like trim and put together and his teeth are right. good. Like what they shoot the Klingons really close up and you get the idea that their, their teeth are just really jacked. Yeah. They have bad, bad, bad teeth. So as they're, as they're finishing their meal, they get, uh, they get word from the sick bay that, uh, Cooney Voss is, is not long for this world. So they go down there to, uh, pay, pay their respects. And, uh, this is maybe my favorite, Wharf moment in all of Star Trek, because <laughs> as as uh, Cooney Voss shuffles loose this mortal coil, Worf and the two other surviving Klingons from the wreck uh, start growling and then let out a crazy scream. Yeah, and they do that thing where they cut to the the high angle of the group, like, yeah. like they're screaming at the camera. It's pretty yeah. great. We go to the god perspective. Yeah, <laughs> and, we are uh, we're made to understand that uh, the reason they do this is to is to warn warn the heavens that a warrior is coming. Right. Yeah. Data explains that this may have never been, it may not have ever been observed outside of. Uh, outside of the Klingon uh, alliance or whatever it's called. Klingon Empire? Empire. So they're, one of the K's dies. And uh, <laughs> and so we get a little more time between... Which one do you think it was? Coup? <laughs> Clan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely Clucks. 
So <laughs> the two remaining Klingons are palling around with Worf a little bit, and they sort of let it slip that uh, that they they might be uh, outlaw Klingons. They're looking for they're looking to live that cowboy lifestyle that uh, that they haven't found necessarily in Klingon culture since since this peace that the Federation and the Klingons have had for years. They're like, fuck peace, man. We want to we wanna be free, and we want to go out and kill and be the warriors that we know we can be. And Worf's, yeah. Worf's not exactly down with this. Yeah, I mean, it's a... They sort of ex- explain that, yeah, dude, uh, we took over the freighter. There was no Ferengi around. We wanted to take over the freighter and, and cruise to a place where we could be cowboys the way we want to be. Yeah, this really draws on like some of the films from the original series cast. Like, uh, Undiscovered Country is all about like, like Klingons and humans that are too used to fighting with each other to feel comfortable living at peace with each other. Mm-hmm. And I guess these guys are, uh, you know, decades later, kind of remnants of that of that uh, situation. You know, the Klingon Empire is at peace with the with the Federation, but these guys are not down with peace. The warriors. That scene and the scene that follows is (laughs) incredible to me. So basically, these two Klingons admit to being terrorist hijackers. Right. And then a second later, they're like, hey, Worf, would you mind walking us around the ship? We'd like to see more of it. Worf's like, yeah, no problem. (laughs) Show us how the place works. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, hey, uh, hey, Data, let's show your uh, your identical twin brother how to how to work your station at, at ops, just yeah. so that he could assume your identity if he ever wanted to say take over the ship. Real and uh, yeah, real loose with the security there, Worf. Don't know how you're gonna ever get a promotion acting like that. Yeah, yeah, and and also like the fact that he doesn't immediately go report that to to Commander Riker or something. Well, he's not a snitch. <laughs> yeah. Snitches get stitches on the Enterprise. Yeah. So the Enterprise detects a Klingon battlecruiser uh, coming up on them pretty hot. And they get on the radio with this commander who demands that Corus and Conmel be turned over because they're fug- fugitives and criminals. And, uh, and you know, I think at this point, the, the bridge crew understands that they they blew up a a Klingon ship. And so Picard is like, get those guys in custody as quickly as possible. And they're like, Oh wow. They're actually walking down the hallway toward the battle bridge right now. And he sends Yar and like the Dustbuster club down there to, to go round them up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's like five security people all with Dustbuster phasers at the ready. <laughs> Pretty threatening. Yeah. Um, and, and, it's a it's a weird scene because like a like Worf is sort of standing in between Chorus and and uh, and Conmel and then the Dustbuster Club on the other side and it's like sort of testing his loyalty like is he going to be loyal to these Klingons or is he going to be loyal to his crewmates and then a turbo lift opens and a little girl runs out and Chorus picks her up and Yar's like uh uh hostage situation and he's like what chill out and he hands the girl to Worf yeah, like Chorus basically uh speeds Tasha Yar like hostage situation <laughs> what are you gonna do what are you gonna yeah. do <laughs> Tasha doesn't have the nerve to shoot the hostage at that point <laughs> 
Yeah, but she also calls in a hostage situation way before it's yeah. clear that that's what it is. <laughs> Basically, as soon as the turbo lift doors open, she calls a hostage situation. Yeah, and uh, and Worf is like offended on like a racial level. He's like, he's like, he's like, we don't fucking do that. Okay, that is an ugly stereotype, and we have worked very hard to get past that. Um. Anyways, the Klingons are put in the brig and. Uh, no sooner are they in the brig than they start to assemble their their secret uniform weapon. Right, which is made out of like a boot tip, a belt buckle. Uh, Two belt buckles get put together. Yeah. One of them has like, I think in like the upper chest part of his, of his uh, uniform, he has a couple of tubes that are the barrels of this gun. And then the boot tips are the... Uh, are the uh, disruptor part that goes on the end of the barrel. It's real fun to watch him put this thing together. Yeah, um, it's a total it, MacGruber job. And I think we can be confident that the Enterprise transporters are unable to detect anything dangerous at any time. <laughs> They're constantly beaming people up with weapons or parts of weapons. They beamed up Jombie five episodes ago. They just don't yeah. really care. Well, to his credit, Jombie just had a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of titty beads on it in him, you know. He was, there was nothing to worry about with Jombie. Them beads, though. <laughs> Them beads. <laughs> so Worf tells the captain that, like, the the Klingons, if they take these guys, are just going to go execute them, and that Picard should should reconsider just handing these guys over. But uh. You know, Picard's in a tight spot. Worf gets on on the blower with Canera, the uh, Klingon commander on the other ship, and pleads to let them take exile on a hostile planet rather than than uh, execution. Because I guess the 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 lot the Klingon honor logic is that if they're executed, then it dishonors all Klingons. But if they can die on their feet like men, then th- their honorable deaths will be. Uh, you know, good enough for them and good enough for everybody else. Um, but Canera, you know, he's he's got his orders as much as he agrees on a personal level with Worf. Yeah, he's a company he's got, man. He's a company man. So as this is going on, Chorus and Conmel bounce from the brig. Uh, I think Conmel gets gets wasted pretty quickly. Yeah, they trade Conmel for the security guy outside the door. Two people die like immediately. Yeah, I was a little confused by that because I felt like the animation of the phaser blasts looks like what it usually looks like when it's um, when it's on stun mode. It's mm-hmm. like the kind of it's the kind of ripple effect, uh, and usually like on kill mode, it either like physically wounds somebody, like you know, like lights their clothes on fire, or they totally vaporize. And uh, it wasn't that with either of these, but yeah, I uh, thought it was weird, secu- like. Chorus and Conmel are out, and and the firefight happens. Conmel uh, gets killed. The security chief gets killed, and Chorus just bounces. Chorus doesn't yeah. stop to open up Conmel's eyes and and give the yell. Even a quick yell, I think, would have been appropriate yeah, at that point. Like a, just a, like a ah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, he had the time. He had the time, and uh, I think we can assume from this scene that maybe they weren't as close as we thought. Yeah, yeah. He kind of, 
I mean, you worry for the dead that they're not going to get any warning that this warrior is on, on his way. Could you imagine the dead are just chilling out? Uh, yeah. Just uh, fucking Conmel shows up and starts, starts cutting people's heads off with a batleth or whatever. Yeah. A little warning would have been nice. <laughs> heads up next time. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Chorus makes a bean, uh, beeline to engineering uh, with his little... Uh, with his improvised weapon and basically gets up to the second deck of the warp core and aims his weapon at the warp core, sort of yeah, taking at the, the dilithium ship chamber. Yeah. Yeah. If, if a disruptor hits the dilithium chamber, it's going to take the whole ship out and him along with it. And uh Worf has to kind of explain this to the captain. Like he is not looking to be taken alive at this point. Like it, it's either going to be, he, like kills everybody on board the ship and takes off with the ship or he takes the ship out killing a thousand people to prove his point. So Worf uh, goes up there and tries to tries to reason with Chorus and this is kind of an interesting discussion about like the kind of the the way they define honor and the way they define themselves as warriors, you know. We learned last episode that Worf's enemy is the uh reliance he has in being a member of Starfleet on other people to keep him alive like like Starfleet's all about people working together to for the greater good and that's a, a real hard road for him to hoe and that's the enemy he battles every day uh, that would not be satisfactory to Chorus yeah so so Worf is like and this made me really respect Worf you know Worf is like Worf is like a a man with a very profound internal struggle and he doesn't have any shame about that. He's like, yo, this is what I deal with. This is like the way I have to live my life and I'm not ashamed of it. I like, this is the life I want to live and I just have this struggle. That's part of it. And, and, uh, and he feels very confident in that giving him the qualifications of being a real Klingon warrior. And chorus is like, is like he the only way he can really define it is by going out and being a conquering murder zealot or whatever. So he's not going to be talked down by Worf. Yeah, it's it's a real like angel devil argument, right? Totally. And um, how does this work out? He like lunges at Worf and Worf shoots him, or does Worf just? just uh, no, uh, Worf. Worf takes a little. Ele- no, he doesn't take an elevator. Worf climbs the ladder up to his level. Yeah, uh, they they both have this discussion. And then Worf just straight up shoots him. Pretty badass. It's like Han shooting first, you know. Yeah, and then uh, and then Chorus all they make these decks in engineering out of glass, and it's not tempered, yeah. which is kind of. A I mistake, would have thought like, it would be clear aluminum, like they have in uh, Star Trek for the Voyage Home. Yeah, but, so uh, he's Chorus is basically the guy at the party who falls through the glass coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he falls through one of the decks and then lands on a deck below and cracks that one. So huge party foul. I mean, he, it's party foul on top of party yeah. foul. <laughs> I don't know how many of these glass decks there are, but right because the warp core is pretty tall, right? It's it's at least several stories tall. I think you could conceive of a situation where he could have fallen through like eight of these glass <laughs> coffee tables. 
he is he is the body equivalent of the uh, alien blood in in Alien yeah. going through the deck plating, <laughs> <laughs> just one floor after another. Yeah. Oh, how fun would it have been to see them have to like run down the stairs, and keep <laughs> keep chasing him as he goes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as it was, uh, the cleanup is substantial, but not as bad as it could have been. I mean, that's this is a one shop vac job, I think, getting yeah. all this glass cleaned up. Uh, and then, uh, and then Worf does that thing. He op- he opens up his eyes with his fingers. He does maybe the best scream of all because they do that. Uh, they do that intercut thing where yeah, they, they, they shoot cut him close progressively and then they cut away. wide and then they cut yeah. wider and then they cut super wide. Sort of like uh, I don't know where you've seen this effect before. Like probably Hitchcock movies where someone gets it, murdered in a house and they cut to the exterior and birds take flight from a tree. If this had been shot in the irony-soaked 2000s, it would have cut to the outside of the ship and then the galaxy and then the universe, and you'd still hear him screaming. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty epic. So Worf has more respect for Chorus than Chorus has for Conmel. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and you wonder, like, does Worf at, at some point, like, go go pay that respect to Conmel and they just don't show it? They, Unclear. Uh, they refer to this a, a couple of different ways. Like, as soon as a Klingon dies, they ask what to do with the body. Like, like yeah. a few different people are asked. Uh, originally, they ask Chorus what to do with the first guy's body. And Chorus is like, well, uh, he's basically a, a piece of garbage right now if, if, a, if a warrior soul doesn't inhabit him. So treat him like nothing. And then, uh, and then the same goes for Chorus's body. They ask Worf what they're gonna do with him, and, and he's like, "I don't fucking care." Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> throw him, throw him in the compactor. Yeah, yeah, put him in the replicator and make some, uh, make some cutlets out of it. Um, so they get on, they they get back up to the bridge, and Picard has an awkward phone call to make to Canera, uh, <laughs> the commander of the ship that's come to collect these two ass wipes. And he's like, hey, uh, you know those guys that you came to get? They actually got out of our brig and, uh, well, we had to kill them. (laughs) So funny thing about those prisoners we were planning to send you. Yeah. Uh, So Canaris like, "Um, can I talk to the Klingon guy that you had on board before? (laughs) And uh, Worf comes down and into the uh, lower portion of the bridge and Canera asks him, asks him how the fugitives died, and Worf says, they died well. And Canera's uh, like, cool, you're, you're, you're a good dude. You can come work on my ship any day of the week. And Worf's like, all right, that sounds pretty good once my term of service is up here. And uh, when they cut off communication, he's like, I don't want to work for that asshole. I was just being polite. Yeah, and that's the button on the episode like yeah. like Worf being polite to another Klingon and then going yeah. back to his uh, science station they all laugh and they freeze frame and then the credits roll my love is a for all of the things in this episode that weren't perfect I think this might be my favorite episode so far I thought it was great like all of the stuff with the ship at the beginning was great, super yeah. well done, great suspense, like interesting conflict. I love Worf episodes generally. You get some shoot 'em ups. Uh, there's yeah, there's good action, like and uh, overall, like you know, plausible tension. 
and uh, fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I don't agree that it was the best episode of the season. I don't know what episode I would give that award to. <laughs> um, yeah, the only thing to me that didn't make sense was Troy's absence, his her yeah. unexplained absence, and her real utility. Like, like she was needed in an episode like this, uh, but without her, I think they uh, they just allow these terrorists to run roughshod over the ship. Yeah. So yeah, I dug it. It was fun. I mean, the uh, the Klingons were really cool looking. Uh, they walk yep. around like they walk around like cowboys. Like they make a sound like they've got spurs hanging off of them. Right, they're really loud they, walkers. Their legs wide apart. Yeah, they're they're really cool. The, out. the contrast between them and Worf could not be more pronounced. They really yeah. they really dial that up in a fun way. Yeah, but like well characterized. Like you can see the part of Worf that is in them and vice versa. Yeah. And you can see like what he has had to do to adapt to the to the environment that he serves in. Yeah, I mean you could this is this is one of the better character development episodes that you get in this show. Yeah. Because I think so often so often you get sort of a Dullsville character episode where, you know, Picard's gonna go explore the holodeck and you're gonna <laughs> learn more about him like it's it's not the stakes aren't as high in an episode like that but there seem like real stakes here uh, which were great so good job guys good job totally good you. job Rob Bauman uh, I I took a tour of the internet a little bit to figure out his deal because I kept seeing his director credit on episodes in the first season yeah. and I was blown away do you know anything about him? no is he related to Chris Bowman? I don't know we will have to. I don't know who that is. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. Uh, we love Chris Bowman, friend of the friend of the show, Chris Bowman. Um, yeah, he, he's the co-host of my other podcast. Let's drink about it, about yeah. which I'm not ashamed that much. Yeah, that show is fantastic. Uh, anyway, Rob Bowman was 27 years old when he started directing Star Trek episodes. Oh my God, I'm jealous forever. Doesn't that make you feel like a huge asshole? Yeah. God, I'm 36 and I. And making a Star Trek podcast. That's <laughs> that's how shitty I feel. Yeah. This is one of five episodes he directed in season one, and he went on to direct 12 episodes in the series. He directed wow. at 27 years old, five episodes in this season. That's amazing wow. to me. I just thought that was awesome trivia. I thought the, the camera work and, and, you know, blocking and everything in this was great. I mean, I think he did a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, good, good work, Rob. Good job. Nice one. <laughs> hey, Ben, uh, do you have a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda. Um, you know, I didn't really come up with one for this episode. The only thing I could really think of was uh, there's this moment when they're on the Talarian ship at the beginning when uh, Data's like, I should go through there because it's like really hot and radioactive in there and it's not mm-hmm. going to affect me that much. And he comes back and he's like, yeah, it's through here. Come on, guys. <laughs> so Data was my only like nominee, but I didn't really feel like it was that great of a drunk Shimoda moment to, to warrant a full-blown award. Data being the guy at the party that jumps off the deck and is like, hey, that wasn't that bad, guys. <laughs> guys, you should we try that. Try that was it. super cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh my drunk Shimoda is Chorus, and it's all about that scene where he left his homie in the hallway without yeah. without giving him a little a little scream. That sounds that was like, pretty whack. 
that sounds like classic drunk guy behavior where, uh, you know, bro meets a girl at a party and then just jets and doesn't tell anyone. Yeah, like, totally ghosts on all, all his friends. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty, yeah, I mean, you could say Conmel literally ghosted at that moment, but... Uh, <laughs> But chorus doesn't give him the 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 decency of a yell, even a little one. So uh, for that reason, uh, chorus is my Shimoda for this episode. Bad form, chorus. Weak sauce. He got what he deserved, though. Yeah, <laughs> he got what was coming to him—an <laughs> honorable death. Yeah. I am the cutest of all. Lock faces on that vessel. I am the cutest of all. Uh, what do we have coming up next on uh, on our next exciting episode of both Star Trek The Next Generation and our podcast? Uh, the next episode is The Arsenal of Freedom. Picard and the away team fight for their lives on a planet run by a c- computerized weapon system. What do you remember about this episode, Adam? Uh, this is one of the most memorable episodes to me, I think, of the whole series. Echo Papa 607. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember this episode very well. I, uh, I, what's that, what's that smarmy actor name that like, he's one of those, that guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's sort of up. like a uh, Tony Shalhoub type. Yeah. He's like, he's like if Tony Shalhoub had never stopped smoking cigarettes and was like <laughs> 55 years old. Yeah. I'm totally excited to see this episode. Like this episode, like, like all of them I haven't seen since they first came out. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to see if it holds up. Yeah. What's the, uh, what does the reception look like? Uh, they, they described, uh, this actor we're talking about, uh, is Vincent Chevelli, who of course it's Vincent Chevelli. Uh, they say he totally owns every scene he's in. Yeah, I bet. Which is how I remember it too. The guy's awesome. A fun, enjoyable, diverting episode is what it's been called. So yeah. Ooh. Things are looking up for the greatest generation. Yeah, they're really building it up. I like like we've said a few times before, I don't know what we're going to do with this podcast once the shows get good. Yeah, <laughs> just I, have to shut it down. I guess we'll find out for, uh, together. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out to us and tell us what they think of, uh, of the show or of us, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Cut for Time. Ben is at Benjamin R, A-H-R. That's how you spell well, the R part of that. Uh, yeah, and we have an email address, drunkshimoda at gmail. Send us a note. Uh, it's awesome when people review the show on iTunes with five stars. That's really, uh, you know, I think that we've really kind of gone through the looking glass on the embarrassment factor, and now we're just trying to get as many listeners as we can. Yeah, now um, it feels like therapy. It feels less embarrassing and more therapeutic. We're leaning into it. So uh, to to get more listeners, the you know, Something like 70% of all podcast listens happen on iTunes. So that's where most people find shows. And uh, if you go to iTunes and rate and review the show, that helps us stay on the charts and uh, get in front of people's eyeballs. And uh, it's a big help. Yeah, and it also pushes down those those guys who leave one and two star reviews because they think uh, we've got a filthy, uh, filthy, crazy podcast that's uh, that's totally ripping on a show and a childhood yeah. that they thought that they loved like we don't need those right. people five yeah. star review one sentence that's all we need that's not too much to ask no all right well uh after after making that solicitation to our <laughs> tens of viewers i guess uh, we should wrap this one up 
Uh, we'll see you next week with another exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, hosted by two guys who are growing less and less ashamed of reviewing them. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> I'm Ben Harrison. See you next time. Thanks.